whenever I read the Bible with people, and in particular when I encourage them to read the Gospels, there are some questions that people bring or, uh, or comments people make whenever we're doing Christianity Explained, you, you'll often get the same answers, the same questions coming. Uh, and one of them is people are always surprised about the fact that people got upset with Jesus because I think people's picture of Jesus is uh, that he was nice, that he was lovely, that all he did was tell people to, uh, to love each other and he healed people and all that sort of thing. So people always grapple with that. Well, then why do they always want to kill him? Uh, what was it about Jesus that so upset people? Uh, why did they hate him so much? And we saw the reason last week, didn't we? So go remember last week, back the first half of chapter 5, it's a really, really simple reason why they hated Jesus, why they decided they wanted to kill him. And it's actually the same reason why Jesus demands a strong response from people today. And the reason is he claimed to be God. That's why. He said, I am not just a man, I am not just a prophet. I'm not just a wise teacher, I am God in the flesh. And Jesus claimed that that meant that everything rests on your response to Him. Your eternal destiny rests on your response to Jesus. That's why you cannot sit on the fence with Jesus today. That's why the one... I I get really sad when people reject Jesus, when people say, I do not believe in Jesus... But I get really sad, there's a difference in those reallys, I I get really, really sad when when people are just sort of ho-hum about Jesus. I think, well, you you just haven't read it. You've got to read the Bible again if you're ho-hum about Jesus because you either hate him or love him if you understand him. Uh, And that's what we're going to see in this passage tonight. They are the only two sane reactions to Jesus. But sometimes I think, we modern Christians, we don't realise how incredible it is when we talk about the fact that Jesus claimed that he was God and that Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. Uh, So I want you to just slow down and think about it tonight. See, I think we've had 2,000 years of church history, so everyone just thinks, who is Jesus? Jesus is the Son of God. A few years ago, we were doing a sermon series here at church, I want to say a few years ago, it was about 15 years ago, uh, and we, we went and did a vox pop around Cogra, and someone came with me and held the video camera, and I went and interviewed people, and one of the questions I asked them was, who do you think Jesus is? And it was amazing, all these people, not Christians, don't go to church, no interest in following Jesus, but the most common answer to who is Jesus is, Jesus is the Son of God which is incredibly illogical if you think about it, because if you think he's the Son of God, then why aren't you here? But it's because that, that's just, that's who Jesus is. Jesus is the Son of God. But we need to think about that because that is the most outlandish claim in history. So just sort of set aside the fact that you've known Jesus is the Son of God since birth, uh, and just think if you were there with them 2,000 years ago when Jesus made that claim, how would you respond? What would your response be to Jesus? And that's the focus of our passage today, explaining that. What does it mean that Jesus is God the Son? So let's get into chapter 5. You know how every week I say you need to have your Bible open? Uh, When we're looking at a passage like this, you heard it as we read it before, this is a complicated passage. Can I encourage you, you need to have your Bible open and following along. Uh, So if you haven't got a Bible, put up your hand and Griffin, who just happens to be sitting at the back, will run one to you. Uh, But you really need to be following along. 
Now you have to remember what happened in last week's passage. You remember Jesus has just healed a man who's been paralysed for 38 years. Jesus said, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And the man got up, picked up his mat and walked. It's just one of those amazing miracles. With a word, he was healed. But then there was a problem. Do you remember what the problem was? Jesus did it on the Sabbath. And that was a problem because the Jewish leaders saw this man carrying his mat and in one of the most perverse moments in all history, really, you know, they, they said, here's a man who's been paralysed 38 years walking past us. Hey, you can't walk with your mat on the Sabbath. You know, it's just insane. Uh, and then, though, they found out Jesus had healed him and so they started persecuting Jesus for doing this on the Sabbath. And as we talked about last week, we can't get our heads around how silly this is. Uh, Jesus could have answered them in all sorts of ways. He could have pointed out how actually he wasn't breaking the Sabbath law, how he understands the Old Testament better than them. But he didn't do that. Do you remember what Jesus did? Jesus said, you're angry at me for working on the Sabbath? I'll get you really angry. And he said, look at verse 17 from last week, but Jesus responded to them, my father is still working and I'm working also. But for them, it was sort of like my father and blah, 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 blah. They didn't listen to anything after that. Because the thing that so offended them was Jesus said, the God of the universe is my Father. I am the Son of God. And straight away they said, you cannot say that. Because you are saying you are equal with God. And there is only one God. And you just can't say that. And that was Jesus' argument. He said, no, you've heard me rightly, if you like. I will break the Sabbath if I want to, because I am God. I am the Son of God. And from that moment on they decided to kill him. If you think about it though, they were actually right to be offended if it wasn't true. I don't know if you've ever thought of it. Often we just think Pharisees, bad guys, you know, that sort of thing. But, but if it wasn't true, Jesus was guilty of blasphemy and the penalty for blasphemy under the Old Testament law was death. So if it wasn't true, they were right. But if it was true, then the only right response is to bow down and worship him. That's what they should have done. Now, Jesus knows that what he is saying is outlandish. So what he does now in this passage tonight is he gives us some of the most important teaching on how this all works. Some of the most important teaching on what it means that he is the son of God. And so this passage is going to stretch you a bit. You're going to have to use your brain and work a bit. I apologise at 6.55 on a Sunday evening after a long weekend. Uh, but it's worth it because this is great stuff on what it means that Jesus is the Son of God. So come with me, take out your outline as well. I've put a few headings on there to help us understand it all. So the first point Jesus makes to them is that as the Son of God, that means everything Jesus does is his Father's work. So have a look at uh, from verse 19. Then Jesus replied, I assure you, the son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son also does these things in the same way. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing. Let's pause for a second there. I just want to say something to you. Do you realise what a privilege it is to read those two verses? You might think, well, hang on, I lost track after you said, then Jesus replied. But... Do you realise what a privilege it is to read? Jesus, in those couple of verses, he is opening, uh, he's like he's tearing a hole into heaven for us and tearing a hole into the Godhead, into understanding the, the mystery of God, if you like. 
And he is opening up a doorway for us to see what human beings have never seen before. He is saying, if you could see God, then this is what you would see. When you think of the one true God, it is more complex than that. It is the triune God. He doesn't talk about the Spirit here, just the Father and the Son. And he says, as part of the very being of God is this perfect relationship of love. That God, that God is not just one God, though He is one God, He is one God in three persons, and God the Father loves God the Son. And God the Father, so much so that God the Father shares everything with God the Son, and shows God the Son everything, and invites God the Son to do His work on earth. And the same way, God the Son loves God the Father, and submits to Him, and does everything He calls on Him to do. This is what our theologians call a complex unity that is God, bound together by love. And it's mind-blowing. I'm not expecting you've even understood every word I've said there. And we're only scratching the surface. Obviously, if we went deeper, it would blow our minds. But the point Jesus wants to make from it is really, really simple. He is saying, you cannot disagree with anything I do. It's a bit rough on people. He's saying, you cannot disagree with anything I do, you cannot question anything I do, because everything I do is what the Father wants me to do. And I only ever do what God the Father has shown me and what God the Father wants me to do. These days, we can choose whatever job we want. At least that's what the careers counsellor tells us. It's not quite true. You need to be smart enough to get into the uni course and all that. But you know what I mean? You can choose whatever job. It doesn't matter what your dad did. That was not the case throughout most of history. In most of history, if your dad was the king, you got to be the king. Even if you were really unintelligent, you still got to be the king. And if you, your dad was a slave, you were a slave and it didn't matter how smart you are. We don't realise what an amazing thing it is that we get all this choice. But throughout most of history, you just did what your dad did. So what was Jesus? He was a carpenter because Joseph was a carpenter. But Jesus is saying here, that was never going to be my full-time career because I have my heavenly father, my real father, if you like, and my job is to walk in my true Father's footsteps. My job is to do whatever my Father in heaven has showed me and taught me and allowed me to do. So when they saw Jesus heal that man, they don't have the right to question him because that is God at work. He's doing what his Father is going to do. When Jesus taught them and said, this is how you understand God's Word, they don't have the right to question it because he is teaching what the Father has taught him. Jesus is saying, when you see me, you see God. Whatever I do is God at work. And then Jesus says there, look at verse 20, he says, you haven't seen anything yet because even more amazing things are going to happen. And there are two amazing things in particular. So look on your outline at the second point. The second point of your outline, Jesus says, I'm going to raise the dead. Look at verse 21. He says, and just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son also gives life to anyone he wants to. You see, human beings, doesn't matter how far we advance in science or medicine, we cannot defeat death. We can prolong life, but we cannot defeat death. Only God gives life. If you've ever been in that situation, as a, as a minister, sometimes I'm with people when they die, and it is an awful thing. Death is awful. And there is no point where you feel more helpless than when you are in a room with someone and they stop breathing. 
because we can't do anything about it. God gives life and Jesus says, I give life. Jesus says, God has given me that power. Look down at verse 25. Jesus says, the time has come when people will hear my voice and come back to life. Jesus says, as the Son of God, this is what I'm going to do. There will come a day when I will raise every person from the dead. When you hear the word resurrection, what do you think of? When I say resurrection, what do you think of? No one's answering me tonight. Either that or I can't hear. Might be that. You think of Easter Sunday, don't they? Don't you? When we, when we hear the word resurrection, we think of Jesus' resurrection. Well, Jesus actually says, that's sort of like the little sample bag you get at the show. That's the first fruits, is how he calls it. You see, that is the first of the day in the future when every single person who has ever lived will be raised from the dead and Jesus will do it. That is the future. That is what only God can do and he's given it to Jesus to do. But that's not all his father has given him to do. Point three on your outline. God the father has also given Jesus the job of judging all of humanity. So look at verse 22. It says, the father in fact judges no one but has given all judgment to the son. This is really, really important. Uh, I want to keep pushing you tonight to think about some things you might not have thought about before. Uh, I think many, many modern Christians, including people I talk to right here in this room, uh, I won't name anyone, uh, have this funny understanding of God, and it's really common amongst Christians, where God the Father is the angry one who wants to judge us for our sins, and Jesus, God the Son, is the loving one who wants to forgive us. And so the picture we have of the gospel is you've got angry God the Father and then you've got nice Jesus who dies for our sins and then twists God the Father's arm to make him forgive us. It's amazing how many Christians I talk to have that picture of God and it's just fundamentally wrong. And here you see that it's actually not even God the Father who will judge, it's Jesus, God the Son. And it's wrong to separate God the Father and God the Son in that way. You see, it's God the Father who loves us and sent His Son to die for us. It's God the Son who judges us. That's not to say God the Father is not angry at our sin, He is. And that's not to say that God the Son, Jesus, doesn't love us when He died for us, He does. But don't separate them out like that. And here Jesus is saying, the job God the Father has given me is on that day when I raise everyone from the dead... I'm going to judge everyone. It's pretty somber stuff. Look down at verse 28. He says, Do not be amazed at this, because a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good things to the resurrection of life, but those who have done wicked things to the resurrection of judgment. See, Jesus is declaring death is not the end. There will be a day when every person is called to account for how they have treated God and how we have treated other people. Now, the Jews knew all this. Nothing Jesus was saying here was new to them, in the sense that it, just from their Old Testaments, from the book of Daniel, like we read before, they knew all about the judgment day and that one day God would raise everyone from the dead and all of that, but what was new to them was that Jesus would be the one who decides it all. What was new to them was the one they were persecuting, the one they wanted to kill, would actually be the one 
who decided who was in and who was out, which must have been a hard thing to hear. And more than that, what was new to them was the fact that it is how we respond to Jesus now that will decide how he responds to us then. Just look at what Jesus says back at verse 22. Go back there again. It says, The Father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, so that all people will honour the Son just as they honour the Father. Anyone who does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. Let me see what he's saying there. He's saying, you cannot claim to honour God if you do not honour his Son. I meet people all the time who say, I'm not a Christian, but I still honour God in my own way. No, just not true. You can only honour God if you honour his Son. If you do not honour his Son, if you do not believe in him and trust in him, You are failing to honour God. That's what it says there. We honour God by honouring His Son and we fail to honour God if we fail to honour His Son. But for most people, they want to say, God should let me into heaven even if I haven't honoured Him, however He wants me to do it in this life. It's been interesting this week with Israel Folau, hasn't it? Is there anyone who has got through... I, I don't usually like using sporting illustrations in, uh, in my sermons because half the congregation switches off as soon as you mention sport. But Israel Folau this week has transcended sport uh, because he's been on Twitter and Facebook everywhere and you can't avoid him. Is there anyone who doesn't know who Israel Folau is? There's a couple of people. There you go. Well, well done for you for avoiding all social media this week. Israel Folau is a rugby player who was asked a question where he was asked, what is the fate of homosexual people? What is God's plan for homosexual people? And his answer was, if they do not repent, hell. And there's been hell to pay. Not literally, you know what I mean. Now, Israel could have been more careful in his wording. He could have tried to stress the positive instead of the negative. He could have pointed out that homosexual sin is not the only sin that leads to God's judgment. He could have pointed out that he too deserves hell, except that Jesus has paid the price for his sins. But because he dared to mention the word hell, and what he said is just normal biblical Christianity, but he dared to say, how you live your life now will be judged by God. And that is the most offensive thing you can say to our world at the moment, isn't it? Because our world wants you to say, it just doesn't matter, God will accept everyone. Jesus is saying, if you believe that, then you have nothing to do with me. You see, and that's because most of the people in our world, and sadly many who call themselves Christians, I've talked to a lot of Christians this week, 